For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Early Wednesday morning, soon after I realized I was going to have to wait at least a day to know the winner of the presidential race, here is the election night speech I was watching. I'm here to tell you tonight, we believe we're on track to win this election. We knew because of the unprecedented early vote and the mail-in vote, that's going to take a while. We're going to have to be patient until we, uh, the hard work of tallying the votes is finished. And it ain't over till every vote is counted, every ballot is counted. Joe Biden was speaking from his home state of Delaware. He was outside, surrounded by cars honking their horns, at a rally designed for this pandemic we're in the middle of. I mean, it was brief. He just kind of wanted to instill confidence, and he sounded confident. It was him saying, you know, I believe we're going to win. We will win Pennsylvania. Jim Newell was watching all this, too. He's Slate's senior politics writer, our go-to election night guy. He seemed chipper. He did. I think he was also probably a little chilly. You know, he didn't seem to have a jacket, so he didn't want to speak for too long. An hour or two later, President Trump gave a very different speech from the East Room of the White House. Without a mask in sight, he didn't tell his followers to wait. He told them to get ready for a fight. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. So our goal now is to ensure the integrity for the good of this nation. This is a very big moment. This is a major fraud in our nation. We want the law to be used in a proper manner. So we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop. There were still millions of votes left to be counted, as Trump said this. I should have been prepared for a doozy of an election night. But for some reason, I still found it pretty unnerving. Jim did too. So t- tell me about the evening, because I feel like it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. And we kind of got off to the races with Florida. Yeah, so when Florida numbers first started com- coming out, I started looking at some counties I was going to track. And so I looked, and it looked like Biden was running ahead of Clinton's pace, so things were on track. And then this bomb went off in, in Miami-Dade County. <laughs> Not a literal bomb. Not a literal. But, but uh, just the, the early vote there, it showed the big dump of about a million votes showed Biden leading by nine, 54-45. Why is that a big deal? Because Biden needed to win that by 20. And it was only going to get worse as the night went on because that was the early vote. Those are the ones that Democrats had banked, you know, hoping they could have a big lead that could withstand Republican Day, uh, Election Day voters. So mm-hmm. right then I knew that Florida was gone. I mean, that was just too big a miss. And it looks like it's it's going to be about um, three points for Trump. So 
So the night started with (laughs) a quote-unquote bomb in Florida. And I feel like we're getting towards the end of the night now. Well, it's the morning, I guess. And the one thing we know, we don't know everything, is just that this race is not going to be a landslide. It's not going to be a blowout. No, I mean, it's pretty clear that the polls uh, were off again. We've seen Trump doing really well, great turnout among uh, rural voters. He is, his strength among Hispanic voters, which people had noted that he was going to do better with Hispanic voters, but it's really quite stronger in some cases than than you had even expected. One with Cubans in, in Miami, just carrying that state for him. And then also in Texas along uh, the Rio Grande Valley, really weak performance from Biden there. You know, we're still waiting to see more on Arizona and Nevada. It looks a little bit better there. But that's a big underperformance from Biden. And there's going to be a lot of talk about that uh, in the in the years going ahead. Yeah. I mean, Chuck Rocha, who'd been an advisor to Bernie Sanders and who we had him on this show, he he advises on reaching out to the Latinx electorate. <laughs> he was tweeting, I told you so. Right. It had been a concern going in that there are problems in South Florida, in Miami-Dade, um, both with the margin and with getting younger um, Hispanic voters, black voters to, to um, turn out. You know, there wasn't a ton of enthusiasm for Biden. And that's all completely real. And I, I think there's going to be a lot of questioning in general about Biden's investment in the ground game in, in, in some of these states. I mean, it, I think you know, they were focused mostly on Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, which, which was pretty prudent. But um, I think some of the investments in ground and get out the vote in some of these other states, which were seemed doable all of, you know, seven hours ago, um, that's really going to come into question. Hmm. We should acknowledge, though, that at this early date, there are some mirages happening, which is something that we talked about a lot before this election, the fact that it might seem that one person is pulling ahead, but that's actually just a function of what votes are being counted. So what do we know about what votes are being counted and what that means for the results we're seeing? So in a lot of the states where they were able to pre-process their mail ballots, i.e. begin counting them a while ago and have them ready to, to put into the results tonight, that's where you're kind of seeing a blue mirage because you would have a lot of Democrats who bank their votes early and then that would be countered by Republicans who, encouraged by the president, came out to vote on election day. So you would see that Democratic lead sort of draw down as the night went on. So that was the case in Florida. That was the case in Texas. That was um, the case in North Carolina. The case in Ohio was a really big one. I mean, Ohio looked really strong um, early on, but now it's sort of fallen back to where it was in 2016. Hmm. Um, and then there are states where there's going to be a red mirage, or theoretically, it's going to vary a little state to state. But in w- Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, this is where, because of disputes between the Republican legislature and and Democratic governors, they couldn't come to an agreement to count and process votes before election day. So you're seeing, you know, they can get a lot of the election day votes out, the Republican votes out pretty early. But then as the days and weeks go on, because it's going to take time to count all these mail ballots, you're going to see things moving a little more blue. 
So that's kind of where you see these different mirages is just, you know, we have a pattern where Democrats are voting more by mail and Republicans are voting more in person on Election Day. It just sort of depends on when the counting is done. So what you're saying is buckle up. And (laughs) I could hear that as I turned on the television around midnight. I saw a bunch of strategists, especially on NBC, basically saying, "Okay, everyone, you're looking at the fact that Biden hasn't flipped Florida, that some people are calling Arizona for Biden and some people aren't, that the president seems to have won Ohio. And you're thinking, uh, is this how is this going to turn out? (laughs) And folks were saying, yeah, calm down, just calm down. And I I think that's fair because we were telling people (laughs) for a long time, this is going to take a while. But it seemed like as soon as that election night energy ramped up, that all kind of went out the window. Well, I think people, I think Democrats probably got down, you know, when they just saw they weren't you know, it wasn't going to be a, a direct polling hit. You know, it was not going to be a Biden plus eight environment where you're taking along Georgia, North Carolina, Florida. And so I think that, you know, that colors people's impressions of how the night is going. And then flashbacks of 2016, you just sort of think, you know, oh, God, it's happening all over again. But, you know, it really is still it's really still a very close election. You could even say Democrats are are in pretty good shape still. Um, But it's going to be the grind scenario. I mean, it's going to be the one that everyone, you know, kind of wanted to avoid where it's not a clear result on election night. And then you're going to have these long counts in the Midwest. You're going to have the president filing lawsuits and challenging the validity of ballots, an argument for which there's no merit, by the way. And it could just take a while to decide. And it's going to be a, a, you know, it, it could be a pretty tight result. So let's talk about the states that were still waiting on. Surprisingly, we're still waiting to know a little bit more about what's happening in Georgia. And then we're also waiting on these critical Midwest states. So Georgia, how much stock do you put in a possible Biden win there? You know, I'm not going to like bet on it and Biden doesn't need it. I mean, it it would save a lot of... um, Stress, I think, as we're looking at legal battles in the in the Midwest, I've been long anticipated if if Biden could pull it off. But it does look like, you know, most of the red part of the state is in and we're waiting on the Atlanta metro region. So Which that is means that you could see a shift. Yeah. So that's why even though Biden is is pretty well down in the state, that's where all the remaining vote is. So, you know, I don't know how it's going to turn out. It looks like it's going to be very tight. And also North Carolina I haven't entirely given up on it yet. I mean, right now, you know, it's sort of projected that Trump's going to win by a point or two. But there's also they accept mail ballots for, I think, uh, another week or so, another six days. So that's something where I'm going to want to see everything that comes in. Hmm. And then the Midwest states we're waiting on, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, of course, Michigan. And they're really critical for Joe Biden, right? Yeah, so I would say that Michigan and Wisconsin are critical. They're also, the polling, who knows, it was all trash, but those showed Biden doing a little bit better than he was doing in Pennsylvania. So those are kind of, a lot of stock is being put in those. So here's a scenario. 
Biden's able to hold on to Nevada and every other state that Hillary Clinton won. And then if he can win Arizona, which he's looking to be in good shape on, although people are split on whether to call it as of when we're talking right now, then he can win Michigan, Wisconsin, and Nebraska's second congressional district where there's one electoral vote. Just a, a sliver of of Nebraska, not the state. Yeah, it's Omaha suburbs. And it's that would get him to 270 electoral votes. That's so close. It's close. And he wouldn't need Pennsylvania. Now, Pennsylvania, we're going to have to wait a while. But Biden seems confident. Democrats were not really talking a whole lot today. I can I can see why now. But I did detect more confidence about Pennsylvania than some other states where they were losing ground, like like Florida, for example. Um, I think that Biden visited the state the most. He put a ton of money into it. They built a get-out-the-vote operation there, which was apparently lacking in some other states. You know, I, I think it's Pennsylvania is going to be close, but um, I think Democrats, you know, they shouldn't count on it going away. We'll be back after a quick break. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We've talked about this a couple times, sort of circled around it. <laughs> You've talked about how the polls are trash. And going into today, I and mean, we talked about it before today, the fact that the polls for Biden looked very different than for Clinton, where they were pretty static and Biden and Trump weren't crossing. They weren't sort of getting close together and then going far apart. They were just always far apart and Biden was always in the lead. And that's why people felt so confident going into today, Democrats, I should say, that we were looking at a potential Biden win. I just, where does polling go from here? Like, we've already had a reckoning over polling, and we changed how we polled, and we said, okay, we're going to sample more non-college-educated white people. But it seems like even changing how we poll didn't prevent us from not having accurate polls. Yeah, I mean, I can't answer where it goes from here. Um, If we consider that the race was stable, you know, hovering between a 6 to 10-point Biden win, you know, and then... I think he led pretty much every poll of Florida by quality pollsters for most of the election. I mean, it's a comfortable miss. I think we have to look at, you know, there's systemic error in the polling industry. I mean, I really do. We'll see how things turn out and how big the miss is. You know, it could be a couple points. It could be four points. But, you know, I don't think they can just make a little tweak after this. I mean, this is this is just shocking to a lot of people. So, I mean, I guess Nate Silver would say, well, the polls are just looking at probability and there's always a probability that this would happen. Well, yeah, but the probability was, you know, 90% chance Biden had one. And now we're probably looking at, you know, I don't know. It's, it seems like it was more of a, like, you know, 
70-30 race almost. I mean, I don't know. I, I probably could get screamed at by pollsters because I don't understand the math, but I don't really care what they think anymore. Like, this is a race that never looked like it was out of reach for Joe Biden. And now we're just, we're going to grind it out, you know, in courthouses in Pennsylvania. So I think the pollsters don't understand the American electorate. Oof. They're missing something really quite big. And that's important because you need to have an accurate read of public opinion for, for you know, for journalists, for policymakers. I mean, just for, for everyone to do their jobs and reflect the will. And it's just, I know, it's frustrating. So while all the presidential race results were coming in, we were also getting Senate results. And that's important because it has a huge impact on what happens no matter who wins the presidency. Like if Joe Biden, <laughs> you've said this in your newsletter, Joe Biden wins and then he's working with Mitch McConnell in the Senate, that's not going to be real functional. So let's talk a little bit about where the Senate races stand and what stood out to you here. We should say it looks like Mitch McConnell is keeping his seat, so he'll at least mm-hmm. be the majority or minority leader in the Senate. And that was sort of expected. Yeah. And then the Lindsey Graham race that we've talked about, Lindsey Graham won. But there were other races that you know were kind of interesting. So talk to me a little bit about what you see. Yeah, so I think it's it's pretty clear that Republicans are overperforming there, and they're in pretty good shape to hold the majority. It's not decided yet, but the easiest pickup for Democrats was John Hickenlooper beat Senator Cory Gardner in Colorado. That was called pretty quickly. And then the easiest pickup for Republicans. Right, was, was Tommy Tuberville beating Doug Jones, where, uh, as I'm looking now with 89% of estimated votes reported, he's winning by 24 points, so... Oof. So that's uh, one and one. And then, so once they got Gardner and then once Republicans got Jones, they would need three more. And the path was looking like it was going to be Arizona. Mark Kelly. Yeah, Mark Kelly versus versus Martha McSally. North Carolina, where it's Cal Cunningham uh, against Tom Tillis. And then Maine, where it's Susan Collins uh, against Sarah Gideon. There were some other opportunities out there. Um, Iowa was another good opportunity for Democrats to take out Joni Ernst, uh, Montana. Uh, Steve Daines was was facing a pretty strong bid from Steve Bullock. The governor. Yeah, the governor. And I just, you know, it looks like Mark Kelly has the advantage over McSally in Arizona right now, but that hasn't been called yet. Tom Tillis is, is running a little bit ahead of Trump. Um, he's got about a two-point lead on Cunningham. And then Susan Collins just, appears to be dominating in Maine. I mean, I, we'll see what else comes in, but she's got an 11-point lead right now. Um, and this is a state where, you know, while she has an 11-point lead, Biden has about a nine-point lead. So she's getting a lot of ticket splitters. So, you know, and Iowa's already been called for Joni Ernst. Montana looks to be uh, trending pretty hard away now from from uh, Steve Bullock. So, And we should talk about why this is shocking because... There is just so much money in these races, huge windfalls coming in for the Democrats. And the fact that (laughs) you can have that much cash and still be just not winning, (laughs) it is surprising. (laughs) If the roles were reversed, we'd be saying, that's great. Campaign money doesn't, you know, take over. It's all about the will of the voters. Um, But yeah, Democrats beat, you know, 
build up huge sums of money. I mean, Jamie Harrison, we should talk about him in South Carolina. He raised $57 million in a quarter, or maybe it was 59. That was the most ever raised by a Senate candidate in a quarter by $20 million. And he's losing to Lindsey Graham by about 15 points right now. So, I mean, the, I think part of this is probably the the Barrett confirmation probably, you know, helped some Republicans come home here. The Supreme Court confirmation. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there are some who thought that Biden would win. So, you know, they want to ensure a Republican Senate. But maybe it was just the electorate was poorly sampled. <laughs> um but anyway, I mean, the the picture right now, I don't know, we still have a lot to see. We still also have to wait, by the way, uh, in Michigan to see if Gary Peters can hold off John James. But, you know, I mean, right now it's looking like Dems may only pick up one seat on net and they need three to to flip. So, I mean, that's not final. We'll wait and see what happens. But, um, you know, right now I would say Republicans are in, are in strong shape to to keep the Senate majority. All right. So when people listen to this, they will be just waking up and wanting to know like what they need to pay attention to now <laughs> where are the next results coming in you know what's the information they can trust do we know what the earliest is that we'll know something about these states we're still waiting on states like Georgia and Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania i think we'll know a lot about Georgia and Wisconsin maybe by Midday Wednesday, I think we'll have a pretty good idea of Georgia and Wisconsin. Um, Michigan, I'm not entirely sure, but I think Pennsylvania is probably going to be the one that takes the longest. I think Pennsylvania has been pretty straightforward that they're going to take the longest. And then also with, I mean, Trump is probably going to throw out a lot of lawsuits, but Pennsylvania is obviously the one they've been um, signaling they're going to try to stop the counting and acceptance of of mail votes um, so we'll see that that in court. And then, I mean, we're still waiting on, um, at, at least as of this, when we're talking right now, still waiting on Nevada, still waiting on a final call in Arizona. I think those will get resolved by uh, Wednesday. So I, I think we'll, we'll know a lot more Wednesday afternoon. I don't know if we'll have a winner declared. I doubt we'll have a winner declared Wednesday afternoon, but we'll see more of the field come into play. Earlier this week, I talked to Rick Hassan, and he was saying that he prays the election doesn't come down to Pennsylvania like every day. And I guess <laughs> I wonder if you think it's fair to say that prayer was not answered. Yeah. I mean, you know, it still could be the Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nebraska, second district route that would show Biden you know, could win it without Pennsylvania. But it, yeah, it's looking like, and I guess we should have known, it, it's 2020, you know, we should have known that the most messy path would probably be the one that we go down. So um, I think a lot of people will share Rick's belief in that there. But, you know, I don't think people should just assume that because it's going to this battleground where, um, you know, Trump is going to launch all this bullshit you shouldn't give up on your vote being counted yet. I think that's really important here. And I think the Biden campaign, I don't know. Apparently they weren't prepared for some things, but I think that they knew that Pennsylvania was where this would all come down to if things went wrong. And I think they probably, you know, are ready to fight on that. Yeah. My understanding is they have an army of lawyers ready to go. 
I know. I just picture like I saw somewhere being like Republicans have like four thousand lawyers, Democrats have five thousand lawyers, <laughs> and it's just I know. I feel see them like meeting in this Game of Thrones, you know, situation or something. Jim Newell, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you guys. Jim Newell is Slate's senior politics writer. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Jason DeLeon, Mary Wilson, Daniel Hewitt, Elena Schwartz, and we're getting an assist this week from Franny Kelly. We are led by Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery, and I'm Mary Harris. I'll catch you back here tomorrow. <laughs> 